seventh grade, I knew I could impress her. And the way I was going to impress her was the very clever act of getting one of the little car engines in the science classroom lab and revving it next to her hair. <laughs> Not anticipating that the hair would quickly become entangled in the engine. My plan did not work. But plans are good if you're able to execute on them. God had a plan. And God's plan was for you and I to be in Christ. And now that we are in Christ, his plan for us is that we will be transformed. We will conform to the image of Christ. I want us this morning to look at a very difficult passage in Romans chapter 8. And it's very difficult for a couple of reasons. But I want us to look at this difficult passage of Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 28, and think about what it is to be conformed in the image of God. Before we can really focus in on this idea of being conformed to the image of God, we have to deal with the difficulty of the verse of these passages, which has to do with the idea of being predestined or dealing with understanding God's plan. And then we can look specifically at the idea of conforming to his image. And then think about what that means for us. So if you have your Bibles, please be turning to Romans chapter 8. And as you turn to Romans chapter 8, as I mentioned, this is a difficult passage for us. And it's one that some of our neighbors sometimes take, I think, to a point that Paul does not intend. So let's begin by thinking about the idea of predestination as it exists in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 here, and some of the following verses. And then we can back up to understand what Paul seems to be saying here. Notice what Paul says, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he also called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That last verse is very powerful, very inspiring to us. But when we look at all of these verses together, we get this sense that God predestined. What does it mean that God predestined? There are many in the religious world today who take this to mean that God has already predestined some to be saved, some to be Christians. And so even in a room such as this, in which there are some people, uh, which all of us are wanting to worship God with sincerity and with truth this morning, the reality is, according to this view, that some are predestined to be saved and others are not. Mike's okay, but Kristen, eh, you know, I don't know. Davana's okay, but Jay... Is that really what Paul's trying to communicate. 
When we look at this passage, it's important for us to understand that the word translated predestined here only occurs six times in the New Testament. And we have a little bit of a problem with this word. And the problem is, is that outside of the Bible, it's not used in secular use until about the 6th century A.D. Or 5th century A.D. So about 400 years after this was written is when you really start to see this idea used in secular Greek language. Now I want you to think about that for a second. Now I want you to think about all the terms in English that have changed in significance in their meaning even within the last 50 or 60 years. Can we think of some terms that have significantly changed their meaning, their understanding? And so that ought to give us cause to pause and think about what Paul might be saying, what God might be saying as he inspires Paul to write these words. Even if we were comfortable with understanding exactly what this word means, and let's just say that it does mean predestined, we need to look at the passage and say, well, what is it that God predestined? What does it mean to predestine? The idea of, to pre, of predestine means to decide beforehand. What did God decide beforehand? If we back up and we look at this passage, remember we said it's used six times here and in Ephesians chapter 1. What is it that God decided beforehand would happen? Does Paul say here, God decided beforehand that this group of folks, these guys are going to be okay. These guys are going to be Christians. These guys are going to be saved regardless of whether they wanted to or not, by the way. And these guys over here, no matter how hard they tried, they weren't going to get there. Or did God have something else in mind? Notice again that the text. He begins with this idea after talking about how the Holy Spirit helps us in our prayers because we can't pray good enough. Remember, that's the context. Then he goes on to tell us in verse 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. He begins by telling us that God works together with all things. It's a very interesting construction in the Greek text. Not that God is working through all things, but that God works with all things. For the end goal of accomplishing good to, toward a group of people. The group of people that he works with all things for the accomplishment of good are those described by two phrases. Those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. For our discussion today, it's that last phrase that helps us understand what Paul's saying here. For those who are called according to his purpose or his plan. God had a plan. And we are called in compliance with or in accordance with that plan. I mean, God's plan wasn't going up to some girl and putting a little engine by her hair. God's plan was better than that. 
God had a plan and a purpose from before we even were alive. Before Adam and Eve were ever alive. In fact, when we turn over to 1 Timothy, or excuse me, 2 Timothy, chapter 3 and verse 19, I believe it is. Now I'm messing myself up. First Timothy chapter, Second Timothy chapter one. Hmm. Look at First Timothy chapter, Second Timothy chapter one, verse nine. Speaking of God, he says, "Who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose." It's the same Greek word, same English word. And grace which were granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. What was God's purpose? God's purpose was that we would have eternal life through Christ Jesus, that we'd be made aware of that through the gospel, the good news, that Paul says, I've been preaching. That was God's purpose. It wasn't God's purpose to say, these guys are okay, but these guys aren't, and I decided that beforehand. What does Peter say? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God is not slow towards his promise, as some count slowness. For with the Lord is a thousand years, is as a single day, and a single day is as a thousand years. But God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I heard someone whispering that. If it was God's plan to say from the very beginning, these folks over here, I've already decided they're going to be saved. I, I don't care how hard they try. And these folks over here, I don't care what they do. I don't care how hard they try. They're not going to be saved. Why would Peter tell us that God's not willing that any should perish, but that some, or that all, would come to repentance? God wants people to recognize that there's a plan for them. Ephesians chapter 1 is the other text I mentioned where you see these words predestined, foreknowledge. I want you to notice how he brings that out. Paul's the author, inspired author of this passage as well. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5. Paul says, He predestined us to adoption as sons, as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Hmm. Look at verse 11. Also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose. There's that word again, purpose. Who works all things after the counsel of his will. Did you notice what Paul's saying there? He uses the word predestined in verse 5 and verse 11. He uses the word purpose in chapter in Ephesians 1, verse 11. He uses it in 1 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy, chapter 1 and verse 9. He uses it again in Romans chapter 8. 
to say that God had a plan and a purpose in his plan, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, <coughs> before the foundation of the world, was that we could be adopted as sons and as daughters through Jesus Christ. He decided beforehand that all his blessings would be lavished on us according to his will, according to his purpose. The thing that God decided beforehand was not to mark out, you're good, you're not. You're good, you're not. His plan was that everyone could hear the gospel message. And those who are willing to respond will be able to have eternal life. That's what he decided beforehand. So let's put all these things back together and come back to Romans chapter 8 for just a moment. And let's notice the text that Paul has for us again. Romans chapter 8. Still dealing with some of the ideas of predestination here. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. He says, verse 29, For those whom he foreknew... He also predestined, that is to say, decided beforehand to be saved? No. To have eternal life? No. Those whom he foreknew, he also decided beforehand, in the Greek text literally, conformed to the image of his son. New American Standard adds the phrase to become. The idea is that God decided beforehand that those who are those who loved him, that those who were those who are going to be called according to his purpose or in compliance with his purpose, his code. Those folks, those folks would be conformed to the image of his son. And the purpose of that, Paul says, of God's plan, was that Jesus would become the firstborn, the prototype, in fact, in the Greek, it's prototokos, prototype, prototokos, among many brethren. And those who were called according to his purpose, who love God, he decided beforehand would do those things, are also the ones that he called, past tense. And those whom he called, past tense, he also justified, past tense. And those whom he also justified, past tense, he also glorified, past tense. In other words, this was all a part of God's plan. This was all a part of God's purpose. That's what he decided beforehand, was that purpose, that plan. Now that we've established that, let's look at this idea of what it is that in Romans chapter 8 was his purpose, his plan. He tells us in verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, decided beforehand to be conformed to the image of his son. Let that weigh on your mind for a moment. Being a Christian doesn't simply mean that I say I now believe in God and I love God, and let me walk out the door and continue doing the same things I've always done. 
His purpose, his plan is that my life will be conformed to the image of his son. Paul says it a little bit differently. In Corinthians, he says, he uses the same language, and he says, we look in a mirror as if briefly to see the image of God. We're the image of Christ. We ought to be able to look at ourselves and see, if you will, an image of Christ. One of the passages that we've looked at a couple different times in the last month or so in the book of Colossians. Turn over to Colossians, if you will, for me, or with me for a moment. And notice how Paul here in his letter to the church at Colossae uses some of the same language. Colossians chapter 3. Notice, we'll start in verse 9, what Paul says. He says, do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed, now notice this, to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal not in which there is no, in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and sentient, slave and freeman. But Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Do you see what Paul's saying here? He says, verse 10, he uses some of the same language, and he says, we have put on a new self created in the image of him who created him, meaning God has created me, a new creature. Christ has created me, a new creature. And so I put on a new self so that I will carry the image of the one who created me. My life needs to look different. My language needs to be different. My thoughts need to be different. When people look at us as Christians, they need to see a difference. They need to be able to look at us and see this is Jesus. That's what Jesus came to do. Are you following that? Jesus came to exemplify this is God. Look at or John chapter 1, the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, John tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with Him in the beginning, and nothing has come into existence except what He has created. But John doesn't stop there. Notice what John says, verse 14. 
And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has, exist, has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth was revealed through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God. NIV, I think, has a better translation here. The one and only God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. In other words, no one has seen God the Father, but the Son has. And we see the glory of the Father, the glory of the Son. And the question for us is, does the world see the glory of the Son by looking at us? When we go back to Colossians and we look at what Paul tells the church at Colossae there about what it is to be in the image of the Son, did you notice some of the language that he uses? So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on the heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Goes on to talk about letting the love of God rule in our hearts. We just finished a series talking about what it is to walk in the worthy, walk worthy of the calling that we have received. I want us to begin thinking in the weeks ahead about looking at Jesus in the Gospels. How did Jesus live with compassion? How did Jesus live with kindness? How did Jesus live with gentleness and patience? What was Jesus like? Not what kind of hair did he have, not what kind of clothes did he have, not what kind of bread did he eat, but what kind of a man was he? What kind of a person was he? Is he? And can people see him through me? If you're here this morning and you want to exemplify what it is to be a son or daughter of Jesus Christ and of God the Father, if you have other needs that you need to let the church be aware of, whatever your need, won't you come? Let's together we stand and sing.